0: so this is today today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today
1: you traveled through time to the present yes yeah I don't think you get
0: how time travel works it's like we're stuck you know like a like a needle on a scratch record I wake up every day right here right in Punxsutawney and it's always February second. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a Is thing it? where the same day keeps happening. Time, 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 ah! time, time. Slow down! What are
1: you in a damn time loop or something?
0: Ah! Well, it's Groundhog Day again. And that must mean that I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Curtis Blaze from Time Bandits Minute, here to discuss Groundhog Day. Again, <laughs> still, always, welcome Oh, <laughs> to the madness. It's great to be in your world.
1: <laughs> How long have you thought about, wrote about, or watched Groundhog Day? How many years in a row has it been now?
0: The blog began in August of 2013.
1: 13, oh my God, you're going on 10 years. Yeah,
0: uh-huh. <laughs>
1: Outside of this podcast, I have just I, a couple of questions about that. Okay. I think other people might be interested to know too. Sure. On your first day of watching Groundhog. No, no. On your second day me. of watching watching Groundhog Day. Yeah. Were you like, oh, what have I done here? On your 10th day in a row of watching Groundhog Day for that year.
0: I think this, the second it was okay. I think it was about five or six days in where I was like, what am I doing with my time? And I even deliberately, I mean, I was starting it in August. So it was like, all I got to go is six months. I get to February 2nd to be done. That's fine. But also as I was like, what am I doing? I was like, I also have to keep doing this because at the time I was going through, I was separated from my wife. It was a whole thing and it was in grad school and I needed something, you know? living in a tiny little apartment by myself. I needed something to occupy my mind. You know,
1: you could have become porn sick or you could have started uh, making a car.
0: Yeah. I could have been building AI. I don't know.
1: This arguably is not that bad of a, not that bad of a hobby.
0: Instead, I watch Groundhog Day every day for a year. (laughs) And then once a month plus for a few years after that.
1: So when you started getting famous for it, did it feel like an obligation at that point? Or do you just love it, love it, love it still?
0: I don't think the like obligation of like people expecting it was ever changing the way I felt about it, but there was definitely a point in that year where I got sick of the movie, (laughs) and then there was by the end where it came back to even now when I go back and watch it again. Like lately, I just watch it on February second, but it's very comforting. Oh yeah, and comfortable as I sit down and like this is a thing that I know. There was a point where I could say all the dialogue from memory. Now I have a little trouble with that because I don't watch it as often, but I could. Nice. I watched it once without the audio because I was with a friend. We were on a plane and he hadn't seen it before. I'm like, okay, plug in your earbuds. I'm good. (laughs) And I just watched it without. (laughs) Nice. I'm like, I know what they're saying.
1: Perfect. I kind of got that way with Star Wars in my twenties and early Mm thirties, where just once a week we would watch it like we were going to church. Nice. It would just be the Saturday thing that we do. Be like, yeah, Saturday afternoon, watching Star Wars. And when I say Star Wars, I mean the motion <laughs> picture, not, not any of the other ones. Yeah, A New Hope. Episode four. <laughs>
0: yeah. Actually, I think you're a little bit older than me, so you might even just think of it as just Star Wars. It's not even episode four. Oh,
1: yeah, it's just Wars. I mean... The, the early prints didn't have that. I still literally have the laser disc that just says Star Wars.
0: <gasps> nice.
1: Yeah. I don't watch it anymore. I've also got the 1991 widescreen 90s holograph cover VHS copies that are widescreen.
0: I have the re-release VHS from the late 90s where it's like... They cleaned them up, but it wasn't the theater version right. with like the weird Java.
1: Well, the sound's slightly different on those. I'm not going to go at all technically nerdy on you, but yeah. 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 Eventually, uh, Harmy just came out with his extremely cleaned up, restored version. And that's the version mm, for our nice, house. Yeah. <laughs> the Harmy de-specialized, I guess they're called. Yeah, And the other stuff is just in careful storage.
0: Cause, well, yeah, some of the special edition stuff was useful, cleaning up some of the visuals a little, like the boxes around the TIE Fighters, which I never noticed originally. But then later, once I saw them, I'm like, I see them every scene and I, I couldn't not see them.
1: Well, we only had crappy analog TVs. Yeah. Back when it came out on HBO in, in 1981 or whatever, when we're just watching it on our 720p you know TVs, we didn't even think of it that way. No, it was 400 and some lot, whatever it was. However many yeah,
0: watch a VHS copy over and over on a bad TV. Yeah. You're not noticing that stuff. Yeah, it just looked amazing because you can't see it. <laughs> exactly.
1: The only thing that you ever questioned was how come he's got blood coming out of his arm if it was cut off by a lightsaber?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a useful way to avoid blood, and yeah, and yet they have some.
1: Yeah, but anyway, Groundhog Day minute. Groundhog Day. Or gro- I say minute after every movie now. Yeah. God, my life.
0: Oh yeah. Groundhog Minute, different podcast. Yeah, different podcast. The host's guests early on. Minute two. We're at minute thirteen. Minute thirteen. Which Phil has just stepped in the icy puddle, which is really deep and really dangerous. Oh, like his foot goes so far in there, someone would have been injured. Someone's suing somebody. Well, cowboy guy's there. Sorry, I have the sound down on my video, and I'm like watching the extras. I didn't realize the cowboy hat guy was in the crowd in that shot. After
1: several hundred viewings, I imagine you would not pick up new details every time?
0: I still pick up new things. Weirdly doing this minute by minute, I'm seeing things like a few minutes ago, the second gazebo was in a shot and I'm like, I didn't realize it was ever in the movie <laughs> until then. Wow. Because they, they avoid one quarter of the square, they avoid showing. And I always assumed it was because that's where the crew vehicles were. And so they just never pointed the camera that way. And then in one shot, they did. I'm like, huh.
1: Walking through it. Do you have any idea? Is this in the real Puxitani?
0: No, this is Woodstock, Illinois. Gotcha. I've been there.
1: You've been to the Woodstock?
0: When I was writing the blog, I went there for the holiday, February 2nd. And I got introduced on stage at the Groundhog Day Breakfast. Because I had met the coordinator at the bowling alley, actually. And so I talked to him about the blog. And so he started the trivia contest. He's like, who's seen this movie? And everyone raises their hand. And he's like, who's seen this movie more than once? And everyone's raised their hands. And then he's like, who's seen this movie more than five times? There's still a bunch of hands. Because these are the people in the town where they filmed it. Of course. It. And he's like, more than 10. It's only a few hands here and there. He's like, who's seen it more than 100 times? And I believe I was the only hand up. He's like, And he's like, yeah, let me introduce you to Robert Black. And brings me up on stage. He's like, how many times have you watched this movie? I'm like, "Well." Today is, uh, I forget the count. It was day 100 and something uh, that day. And I'm like, plus a few because it'd been two decades since <laughs> so the movie came out. And then I got to answer the first trivia question. Did you Did
1: you get it? Oh, yeah. Oh, good, good. That would be embarrassing.
0: Well, it was funny because he tested when he first met me and I told him about the blog. He asked a question that I didn't immediately think of the answer. He asked me something about Al, where Alice was from. Oh, my God. And I'm like, wait, who's Alice? <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, who's Alice? And she's one of the waitresses yeah. at the diner. No, yeah, I recognize, I recognize. I recognize
1: that right away, even though I've only seen it ten like, times.
0: Yeah, she grew up in Ireland. Came over from Ireland as a kid. All that. But the trivia question on stage was, how much does Rita pay for Phil? Oh, and no, I knew that one. Now I'm forgetting the exact cents, but it's what three hundred and thirty-eight dollars and seventy something. Shoot, now I'm forgetting.
1: Is it a clue to it's how long a- he, is that figure a clue to how long it took him in the world to be where he is?
0: No, I think they just, I think they went for a random, relatively low amount, but high for the auction because it's basically, you want to know that she's spending the balance of her account yeah. to get him. So it's got to be high enough. We would think, oh, that's a lot for this option, but low enough that you're like, wow, she doesn't have a lot of money, but yeah, she just started this position. So she's not rich. She's a worker
1: sitting here nodding along with you
0: (laughs) (laughs) podcast Need a sound effect for that there should be there should be yeah so we start out with watch out for that first step it's a doozy and ned laughing we've been talking about ned for a couple minutes he we now won't see him for a little while i don't think we see him for another dozen minutes maybe
1: so that could be months from now in our world
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) So now's your chance to talk about Ned, if you'd like. Did you get a little bit of him?
1: You know, the thing—it it just makes me feel like such a such a poser to talk about this movie because so many people that are so that have studied it so much more deeply have done this movie. You know, you and Sean yeah. and everybody. I'm just sitting You're here enjoying the ride. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, I did just double check. We'll see him again in about 10 minutes.
1: So many things run through my head, like, you know, it, mostly the theories about this movie, because I've already listened to the movies by minutes of it, you know, three or four times yeah. and read your blog, of course. And, you know, the things that are fun to talk about are, is Ned the guy who's putting him through this? Is Ned just himself <laughs> going through it and just has a different attitude. All of those, you know, all those fan theories and all those things that come up. Yeah. <sighs> I think I would end up being friends with Ned. Here's, here's my real thoughts on it. <laughs> he would be, because I kind of was friends with this guy in high school, you know, kind of being, you know, the loser's club. Mm-hmm. Nobody really likes him. So everybody who d- nobody else likes, you end up being friends with all those people. Yep. And uh, Same. Ned was kind of one of those guys. And I feel like it irritated me. I would have tried to find things to do where we didn't have to talk a lot. But I probably would have ended up hanging out (laughs) with him for 88 days in a row.
0: Yep. Mine was even weirder because I went to a small school that only had uh, two, I think it was two AP classes. Okay. And I signed up for one, but that meant my PE schedule had to change. And so I had PE with the freshmen, my junior and senior year. And so a lot of my best friends, junior and senior year, were just freshman nerds, which is very strange. like to be friends with all the weird nerds, plus they're younger than me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we've, we've both kind of had this experience. Mm-hmm. Ned is one of those guys that like, he comes around with a different friend and almost right away, he ends up coming over to your house without that friend. And he's just so super enthusiastic and positive. You feel bad yeah. hating him. Yeah. So you just let him hang around. And then pretty soon you guys are just hanging around all the time. And you're just like, Oh, I don't like this guy.
0: I think I might've been Ned. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Like a guy I was in school with lived right around the corner from my sister. So sometimes when I was at my sister's house, I'd end up at his house. Yeah. It's not that he necessarily invited me. I don't think, I don't know. Right. It just ended up there. We'd have fun, but did we hang out other times? I don't think so.
1: Yeah. It was always, so I was always, oh man, I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for people. <laughs> I, I, I like me. and someone who's just enthusiastically into hanging out with me all the time, it's just. I'm really glad I just found a life partner who just likes to be alone too. Yes. <laughs> so we don't have a bunch of friends and we're it's not always constantly being socially visited. It's just the two of us enjoying quiet nights, being alone with each other. Yep. And these people that come into your life that are just so enthusiastically into you and you feel so bad about it. And the worst thing is the older I get whenever these people come into my life. And what I mean is like, it was mildly tolerable when I was 16, but by the time I was 25, two weeks into this thing, I'm shutting it down. I'm like, you know, I just, it, it, this isn't working for, like you have to break <laughs> up with these people and it's weird breaking up with someone that you're dating because there are guidelines for it. There is a way to do that. You say, it's not you, it's me. Yeah. We, we need to talk. It gets a lot weirder when it's a friend. Mm. When it's a friend that isn't working out anymore, there really aren't guidelines for it, but you are kind of close enough, there can still be a little bit of that. we need to talk. you know these are the things that are going wrong for me. These are the things I'm not liking, and it's not that you have to change, but it's not working for. You can still have that talk with a friend, yeah, but now when you're talking about like a stranger that you're not dating <laughs> that just keeps coming around, it's so it's like there's you know tears, and they're like, what did I do wrong?" And you're like. Oh, my God, we are not dating. Yeah. You don't have to cry. You're not losing anything for me telling you not to come around anymore.
0: Although maybe they are. Maybe they think of you as more of a best friend. That's, you, you can't know until you, you try to break up with them.
1: Which <laughs> is just so sad. And it's so hard to do. I mean, it got easier because it fucking happened a lot for me. Can't five or six of these guys in my life.
0: Mine, they just kind of disappeared once high school was over because it was private school. So I didn't live near the school. We didn't live near each other, most of us. So once we graduated, it's like, yeah, I've never seen a few of these people ever again until Facebook shows up.
1: Right. And that's the next part I was going to go into talking about this. There wasn't Facebook when this movie was made. No. But that experience of running into an old high school buddy or whatever, and then them thinking like, oh, we're reconnecting now. is Facebook. Yep. They put onto film Facebook <laughs> before we had a concept of the awfulness that is Facebook in there.
0: Yeah. Ned Ryerson is every Facebook friend request you get from someone you went to high school with.
1: Exactly. Oh my God. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That is it. <laughs> you know, back in the day, it's not inaccurate, it's the people who are selling life insurance. <laughs> that would start working their old high school friends and stuff. It well, really yeah. were. It really was those people. This wasn't a joke.
0: Like real estate or you, insurance. It, that's the first context you've got real, people yeah, you already know.
1: Real estate or or life insurance. Life insurance in particular. Health insurance, yes, but life insurance in particular. You would get a call from those guys. You could be a junkie living in a closet of an apartment in New York City with fourteen other people, and this person will find you if you went to high school with them, and they start selling life insurance
0: because. It never hurts to ask. (laughs) Right. Especially when you're Ned the Bull.
1: Yeah. You got to ask. And now, of course, with the rise of the MLMs, you got the girl version of that too.
0: (laughs) So he gets out of that puddle, crosses the street to their version of Gobbler's Knob is in the town square. And I would note specifically the banner above that establishes that in universe, the occasion began in 1887, which it did in real life. Because that will later give us some math to figure out when this movie is set, which is a nineteen ninety one.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that was in question. It just feels like the nineties to me.
0: Right. I mean, it filmed in ninety two, released in ninety three. Hairstyles,
1: clothing. You know,
0: yeah. Oh, the hair in this minute. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> it's leftover eighties hair, but also small town hair.
1: Well, that's the thing about decades that everybody mistakes. They say, "Oh man, you know that is such an eighties outfit." Really, all of that cringy stuff from the 80s was the leftover 70s right. stuff that finally is making it to the masses. Yeah. It's finally out of Studio 54 and 10 years later, and now, now it's, it's in popular. small town Iowa. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then it hits the small town and lingers there a little bit longer. Yep. So we have some weird outfits going in this minute. The guy with the fur coat and the green pants, great mix. And the guy walking with him has white sweats on. Oh my God.
1: You're leaving me, me behind. You're going places I can't
0: follow. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite extras is the guy with two scarves on. He's great. He's a Photographer. Oh, nice. Guy with the cowboy hat, which we will see later. I think the guy with the cowboy hat is the actual um, ice sculptor for the film. Oh. And we see him in the ice sculpting scene later. And I believe that's who that is. And he's, I didn't realize he was in this scene until today as we're recording this.
1: So he's in sculpting, but he's also like making his day rate right, being an extra.
0: I think he lived, he lived nearby. I think he's a, a guy out of Chicago. Okay. And they're not far from Chicago for this. Sure. And a lot of the extras are just people from Woodstock who were dressing for cold weather because it was cold. Not as cold as it would be on February 2nd, but cold. The square was covered in snow when I was there.
1: On February 2nd.
0: Yeah. It was negative degrees. It Was was it negative six? I think it was the morning I left.
1: That's the thing about those lake effect Mm. dates though, because it can be nothing and then it can be... Five feet deep. Yeah. The next day.
0: Well, that's what happens at the end of this movie. Here there's just little patches of snow, like maybe it snowed recently, but the end it's covered in snow. Yeah.
1: So I've got a question. Okay. Now that I'm watching this in detail, the slush that he steps in looks a little artificial. Yes. Did they film this in an actual on an actual cold day?
0: That's not real ice. It was cold, but it was like 40 degrees, not horribly cold. Okay. They had to take bricks out of the road in order to get that hole. Oh sure. Now the sh- corner there comes out into the street, like surrounding the parking area a little bit. So that's not even the street. That spot, it's the sidewalk. Like a bump out. Yeah, and there's a l- there's a little plaque there that says Bill Murray stepped <laughs> here.
1: I was gonna ask. <laughs> Fun times. So I'm noticing these cameras they have here that they're using for the, the, the stand ups. Yeah. yeah. Do you know? Did was beta still a viable thing in 1991? Is that still a thing? I
0: believe I looked it up once and. General public, no, but actually for news stations, apparently it was it, like it was a better format for how they did video or something. I don't remember the details. I don't, I know mean, enough about video beta was better, it had more lines of scan or wow, you express, yeah, something like that. Yeah, photography is one of those things I you'd know better than me as to whether how it works better.
1: Well, I was just wondering, I guess I was wondering, you know, did they have the new technology and try to sell it as this is a real news station, or did they just grab something out of props from the 80s?
0: Probably more the latter. It might have been planned. It might have been news stations were using Beta cams still, so they used that. But yeah. the general public had VHS for their all their cameras now, and even mini VHS or whatever you call those, yeah. VHS or something like that. They didn't have these.
1: That's kind of one of the things that made me laugh. This isn't completely related, but when you're talking about news stations versus mm-hmm. private people, back in 2011, I was covering this heinous murder, and all the bigs were showing up with their satellite trucks. <laughs> cables strung and they'd have their giant cameras and everything they'd do their standups and then there was me with my assistant with a cell phone doing live reports just on the internet <laughs> and uh, we didn't need the big satellite cams hooking up to with the great big dishes hooking up to the satellite in the sky and shooting it back down to Des Moines or whatever. We were just there with our little phone doing the exact same thing. And you know in 1991, the video cameras you could almost hide them with two of your hands so small
0: yeah they were getting small
1: and these news cameras were just huge like he almost needed it almost had to be handheld because there wasn't a tripod strong enough to hold them up without you know building some infrastructure
0: sorry i just noticed something in the as i said i noticed new things i'm fairly sure there's a water tower over by you wouldn't know where this is in the movie but by the train station yeah as he walks onto gobblers knob there's a water tower in oh, the yeah, background. that is not there anymore i was double checking on google earth just now it is not in that location. I've been there. There was no water tower. Interesting. And I've never noticed it in the background of the shot either. Probably because I was looking at all these banners. You, got, you can see this is our first shot of the tip-top logo. You got the Gobbler's Knob banner, the thing about 1887, the movie marquee in the background.
1: Well, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I'm sort of involved in infrastructure in our town and kind of pay attention to it. because, You know, these water towers, they'll go dry. They have to, or, or they'll get all full of bacteria or something. They'll get the water so low oh. too many times. Then they have to go build a new well somewhere. Huh. And that's a pretty old style water town. Yeah. So 30 years and probably had been up since the forties at that point. Yeah. 50 years already. Yeah. So there's a train station there. You say
0: there is, it's something the movie skirts around just barely is that when he's on the phone later from the gas station in like eight minutes from now, seven minutes from now. The train station is actually out the window. You can't tell it's a train station, but that's what the building is. And the movie acknowledges that a train goes through town. And whenever someone says, like, why didn't he try to get out of town? I'm like, well, he could have. He could have gotten on the train. But also, it doesn't matter if he tries to get out of town. You're missing the point of the film, people.
1: (laughs) Well, you could answer, him. you know, it has to be a passenger
0: train, first of all. Well, he could jump on a cargo train. Oh, I see what you're saying. (laughs) Not be a passenger. I mean, he could just jump on and escape. And in the original script, he does get out of town. He learns how to fly a plane. He goes to Cleveland to visit his mother. Interesting. That's
1: one of the things about this movie that I just always thought was a budget problem. Because mm. it seems like he doesn't physically need to get out of town.
0: Right. It always felt like
1: he could get out of town if he wanted and still wake up in the bed every morning.
0: Yes. In the Italian remake, the guy does. He stays up all night and then still wakes up in the bed.
1: Oh, how'd they show that? How'd they depict that?
0: They basically just, he was out as the sun was coming up and he starts seeing these weird, it was um, like dancing lights in the air and that kind of just I'm trying to think of a good description. You ever see a Punch Drunk Love? If you ever saw that or Breaking the Waves, the transitions they do between segments of the film where it's like these weird colors on the screen and music. Yeah. I've, it was like that. Yeah. Okay. so like Kind of cheesy. Love. And then just, he was back in the bed waking up. And that's, I think, part of the reason it might have been a budget thing as well, but also it's just, you don't need it. People want it because they're like, why didn't he try to escape? And it's like, he did, but nothing happened. So we don't need to see it.
1: Oh, and you consume it. Yeah. That's the fun thing about this movie is that it just works. It just works on the surface level.
0: It's like, oh, you you thought of escaping by watching the movie, but you think he didn't? He was there for weeks or months or years, some of these people think.
1: 10,000 years, some of these people right.
0: Think. I try to go minimalist on how long he was there. But even then, he would have thought of that, you know, day two. They try to get away and can't get through the highway. He'd just try a different road.
1: Right. In a worse movie, there would be a montage of 16 different ways to try to get out of town. Mm-hmm. And then everybody would be all confused about what the point of the movie was.
0: Right. Then it the becomes the point of the movie isn't
1: it for a, him to escape town.
0: No. The point is for him to embrace town, not escape it. Right. As I said in my blog, he's not stuck in Punxsutawney. He was stuck in Pittsburgh. This is his escape, is getting to actually be somewhere where he has to care about people and learn to be a better person himself. Which begins with polka.
1: (laughs) It begins with polka. Allow me to introduce myself. Gus Polinski. Oh, I... Polka King of the Midwest. The the Kenosha Kickers. Hi there. Hiya. No. That's okay, I thought you might have recognized anyways. Um I had a few hits a few years ago, uh that's why I you know, just polka polka polka, polka polka, polka. No? Twin Lakes Polka, Damavuji Polka, aka Kiss Me Polka, Polka Twist.
0: Well, these are songs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we some fairly big hits for us, you know, in the early seventies, you know. Yeah, we sold about 623 copies of that. In Chicago? No, Sheboygan. Very big in Sheboygan. They loved it, you know.
0: We get uh, the Pennsylvania Polka, written by America's Polka King. That's his official title after a battle of the bands in 1948, Frankie Yankovic. Nice. Slovenian, no relation to Weird Al, although they have collaborated together. And, coincidentally, he was raised in Cleveland, just like Phil Connors was. And Ned Ryerson. And Ned. And the song is not the greatest of polkas, but it is so on the nose for the tone of, I have the minute pause at the moment on that water tower and the woman with, I don't want to be insulting because it would be awesome if I could figure out who this woman is and find her and talk to her, any of these extras from Woodstock, but her hair, oh my God. It's like the worst of eighties, small town hair. In '92.
1: Oh yeah, I know exactly who you
0: With the honk, you love he, Phil. He is a
1: standup. Mm-hmm. That's all of my classmates that were that were women <laughs> when I was in high
0: school. There's some okay '80s hair in this segment, but hers is a mess. There's some horrible hats in this minute. Way too many berets.
1: Well, her hair, and not to be insulting, is the result of that '80s poof thing that was going mm-hmm. on.
0: It feels like she treated it with heat a few too many times.
1: Oh no no no! I'm not saying she did something wrong. This reminds me of that hair, of that 80s poof hair, but she didn't have time or has just gotten sick of or just got used to not teasing it out.
0: Mm. Plus it's early morning. Like it,
1: it was just too much work every day. Yeah. So I'm just going to give it some nice curls. Mm. Okay. And I'm out of here.
0: I can accept that. Because yeah, hers is unfortunately also one of the longest bits of hair we see in this moment. And so it stands out.
1: It is the 80s and early 90s version. It's, it's the girl Oh, what do you call that? Short hair in front. Mullet. Long hair in the back. Yeah, it's the girl mullet. Uh-huh. It's I want long hair, but I don't want it to be in my in my face. Yeah.
0: And then in our extras, we get people dancing. There's some people twirling around each other. The people up in the gazebo are very into this music and having a great time with someone in a groundhog costume is up there. Wow.
1: Wow. Uh-huh. Oh, the details in this crowd. Having watched this. 400 times and analyzed it for 10 years. How many people in this crowd do you know of that he actually gets to on screen? Is that a number
0: you know? Um, Not a number, but I know there are a lot in this crowd that we do see other times.
1: I would think subtly, Ramis would have put everyone that was going to be in the movie later, at least get a good face shot During this crowd
0: scene. They weren't that organized for it because this was a lot of just local extras there on the day. But those local extras who were out for this scene, because this would take like all day to film out here, were really into it. And so they'd show up with the same outfits and come to the diner. And so we see some of them there. There's an old guy with a red hat. He's sitting at the next table at the end of what I call God Day. When (laughs) Phil is telling Rita, you know, you like boats, but not the ocean. The guy behind him, you see him in this crowd. He's got a very distinct red hat.
1: Oh, hold
0: on. Um, Let's see. Where is he? You can see him about second 30 old duties, like two people away from Bill Murray.
1: I wonder if that was an instruction that they gave to the extras. If there was a guy with a bullhorn going, you're welcome to show up as many days as you want. Try to wear the same clothes.
0: Yep. Dress the same way. Yeah. There's a woman who disappears later in the film at one point. And I'm like, that bothers me
1: because (laughs) she's
0: at the corner where as Phil walks past the old man and where he meets Ned, there's two women walking together. And the one woman has a sign that just says Phil really big. And her friend disappears and just is not in the movie anymore after about halfway. And I'm like, I don't know how that even happened. They would film that sequence over and over on the same day so they could match the weather to other sequences. Okay. It shouldn't have been possible but for some reason they used a take from a different day. And so she's not there.
1: It was weird to me to discover that a lot of movies are shot sequentially in order mm, Yeah, in the order that it's shown. That was a very strange realization to me as I was growing up and I wanted to become a, a movie maker and I'd write screenplays and stuff. I imagined the, the shooting script it's called, you know, you would shoot all this stuff at the same time, have the same location and just do all the shots then. Right, And then to grow up and find out that there's filmmakers that just absolutely abhor that, And they'll just come back and, you know, redress the set and everything and shoot new stuff in sequential order. Just messes would be so hard.
0: I remember we were talking about Star Wars. The George Lucas, uh, what was the title of that book? It was out in the 80s. It was this hardcover book that had stuff on all his movies he'd done so far. Jumping in from editing to say the book was called George Lucas, The Creative Impulse. There was a comment in that Ron Howard told them when they were making American Graffiti, where Ron Howard walked up to him one day. He's like, You know, we can film out a sequence. <laughs> and I'm like, A, that is bold to go tell that to your director. <laughs> but B, you're right. You are absolutely right.
1: Isn't that funny? That's Ron Howard.
0: This this movie um, amusingly was filmed in very repetitive segments. Like they would film the n- different versions of the Ned scene on the same day. And then on a different day, film those same versions of the Ned scene because they wanted to match weather and stuff.
1: I read about a fight between Ramos and Murray, Murray, where Mm -hmm. Ramos would always want Murray to understand exactly what was going on in the scene and the motivation and, and all this stuff and would start explaining. And Murray would just interrupt him and say, good fill or bad fill?
0: Yeah, good fill or bad fill. Exactly. And that annoyed Ramus the more they did it. Yeah. That and some other personal they both had personal things going on at this time. This is when Oh sure. This is was,
1: this is the breakup, right? Isn't this the breakup? Yeah, this me? is
0: the breakup for them, but it's also the beginning of the breakup for Bill Murray's marriage that he had at the time. Yeah. The person he went on to be in a relationship worked on this film. I don't think this is where they met. I think she had worked on one previous one with him as well, but this is where I think the affair started. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Ramus was also having some personal issues in his life and then they're having problems with each other when they've been best friends since like the seventies. Yeah. And though there were reports when Remus was sick and right before he died that Bill Murray went and talked to him, I haven't found any real confirmation of that. I don't think they ever did really talk again, which is sad.
1: It is. I think of the friend that I've had since high school. We had kind of a period of like just being sick with each other, didn't talk to each other for six years. Yeah. Then I reached out to him one time and we just kind of healed that. And now we've been friends again for 20 years. So not ever being able to go back again to someone who was with you during those extremely formative years. For them, it would have been you know the 70s and as they were. Saturday Night Living and making all those then amazing movies. Yeah. Stripes and whatever else it was, Caddyshack, whatever they were doing. Mm-hmm. And then just to, as old men start a fight that lasts until they die. Oh, heartbreaking.
0: I'm wondering watching this if the music was, or maybe not this music, but some music was actually playing on the location as they film him walking through the crowd. Cause there's also really good coordination of some of the extras. We see the inner circle guys in their suits and top hats approaching from the left. The people that were behind Phil as he walked into the square are still behind him on the right, although they're not going all the way up onto Gobbler's knob because it's fenced off. But there's pretty good coordination of placement of people as they move around. Well they stay close to the same order.
1: I've just been click tracking along to because I've got it on silent. Yeah. I've been click tracking along to it, just bouncing my finger. As it cuts from scene to scene, the continuity is such that they are bouncing up and down when they would be, had it just been a Mm -hmm. static wide shot. Yeah. It isn't just that they're all together. It's that they're all together from cut to cut.
0: Right. Which feels like they had actual music going and it might've made it easier for the crowd to time everything. You're approaching when the song does this.
1: It'd be weird to just put a click track out there. I don't know if they had the polka going. Although maybe they did. I mean, why not? Why not just have a polka going? You're not going to use it in the final movie, so it doesn't matter. You can just have a performance.
0: Yeah, you can have whatever. Yeah. As long as it's got the same beat as what you put in there, it's going to work out.
1: You can have Motley Crue up on a stage somewhere just playing (laughs) and then put the polka in later.
0: I have no use for tote bags, but I want one of these tote bags.
1: Oh, the one at the end of the minute?
0: Yeah, there's a particular... Oh, I can't remember their name now. I'd have it in my blog somewhere in my notes. Uh, There's a family in Woodstock that owns a lot of props. Took a moment while editing to go look at my photos of the props and things on exhibit in the local library in Woodstock. I have some photos from, and it is the Hockmeyer family, which includes on the donation names, uh, it's a Pam, there's a Michael, a Bob. So a whole bunch of people, the Hockmeyers, if any of you hear this show and are willing, get in touch, come on and talk about what you got. And like the the prop display at the library had like a lot of like little cards saying thanks to the like so and so, and it was all the same family. So I wonder if they have all those. I know I had reason to think that Wes Craven ended up with one of the trash cans, which was fun. Wes Craven? Yeah, I forgot to bring this up. Two weeks ago, we talked about Nightmare on Elm Street four as one of our time loops because there's one in there. And I've completely forgot that in West Craven's New Nightmare, we see one of these Groundhog Day trash cans.
1: Nice. Trash cans. So, are you talking about like this red tote that this woman is?
0: is... Yeah. Yeah. What's it say on there? Do you the, know? With their, uh, j- I think it just says Punxsutawney Phil, and it's got the drawing of the Groundhog, which we see better images of that same drawing elsewhere. The flags that are around the square have that same picture. Nice.
1: I'm trying to look at this whole thing as someone who kind of participates in putting on these sort of public things. How much work this would have been to do? yeah, they would probably have the uh, the permanent cage there to put Phil in. Oh but no, no, I bet that's built. They would build that every year.
0: in Punxatani, the rest of the time Phil lives in the public library. There's actually a like climate controlled glass like Ava's place in sure Ex machina actually. I haven't been to Punxsutawney, so I haven't seen it, but that's how it's been described is that he's got a glass enclosure.
1: They would want to keep the smell out of the library, but still have mm-hmm. him be visible and have it be a nice yep.
0: place. For him. And officially it is the same Punxsutawney Phil that has been there since 1887. <laughs> of course it is. He's immortal. Of course he is. Just like Phil. Yeah. Is All that right. where the idea maybe came from? Not entirely. Not from like the them saying the groundhog is, because that came from Ruben's idea's he had two different stories where he was wanted to write about a young man, like just journey through life. But then he also had this idea for someone who's immortal. But in order to tell a story about this immortal person, you got to have a budget. You got to be able to do time periods and all this other stuff. And he settled on the whole repeating the day thing to get both ideas at once. And then it was January 29th, my birthday. It's been 1989 or 1990. And he was just looked in his calendar to see, like, he wants to set it on a holiday because he wants this someone's going to a town they're not used to. Sure. And then the first holiday he finds is Groundhog Day and Weatherman was like, it just clicked in his head. That's perfect. A Weatherman's job is to predict the future. So you put him in a position where he doesn't have a future. And Groundhog Day is a holiday that we all have heard of, but know nothing about. And it's just kind of silly.
1: Everything in retrospect seems so perfect. Mm -hmm. But I bet it was chaos when they were trying to put it together. Yeah. I I bet there was a version where he's like playing Santa Claus or something. What if it was at Christmas and he had to be Santa Claus every day and he was miserable about it
0: There are so many Christmas time loop movies.
1: Oh yeah. I started watching them this year. Mm -hmm. We had a, uh, our our family does like a Christmas movie thing and we were getting sick of the standards. So we started really just branching out. We found out a bunch of time loop movies. (laughs) It was like, Oh yeah.
0: There was was a brand new one just this past year. I talked about it on the show previously. I just think it's just called Christmas dot, dot, dot again. And it was like a kid's still, did, film. It was fun.
1: Did I recommend it to you?
0: Um,
1: or did I, did I say, hey, have you seen this? And then you were like, yeah, I just thought.
0: I think, yeah, I think you asked me about that one. Yeah.
1: Because I knew I knew your jam and I was like, oh, this is the new one.
0: And I got to stop looking at these extras. One of the last things I was doing in the blog was I was trying to put together a guide to the extras. I mean, I named all the ones on Gobbler's Knob sure. at one point. I made up names for them not like real names, but like the one guy looked like a dude who was on shameless all the time, the bartender. And so I just called him shameless guy. And there was the guy who likes the camera too much. And they all had names. And then I wanted to just name all the rest and figure out what scenes are they all in? Because they wear the same outfits from place to place. The guy that's dressed sort of like Sherlock Holmesy, We see him in a few scenes. Then there's the guy with two scarves that we see every time at Gobbler's Knob. There's a reporter. You barely see him in this minute. Where is he? About second, like 43, 42, 43, there's a black guy with a really bright blue scarf. He walks behind Larry's camera. In later minutes, he really annoys me because he keeps positioning himself to make sure he's like going to be on camera. And we can see him in between Phil and Rita. And he looks at the camera and I'm like, stop it. extra." Oh,
1: the the guy with the camera. Yeah. The guy that looks like he's got the pro camera. Really? He's got like, I don't know what that thing is. (laughs)
0: there's minutes later in the movie where we get better shots of him here. We can barely see him and it's okay. But there's scenes later where I'm like, he was trying to make sure he could be seen.
1: That guy is definitely the local newspaper editor who has no experience with cameras, but has to take pictures (laughs) and the owners won't give him a budget for one. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't want to spend $5,000 of his own money to get a good. So that's what he's got. Yeah. That guy. He's
0: like, I'm an extra and I brought a camera. Oh, we'll put you up close. <laughs> so you look like a photographer. <laughs> nice. We do get a little bit of dialogue that isn't here that is in the script before Rita calls Phil over here. She notices he's late, which doesn't make any sense to me because he got up at six and should have made it in plenty of time. But she says, how could he be late? Larry says, "Prima donnas again. And she says, it's just so inconsiderate. And Larry says, what happens to some people? They're born nice. They grow up nice. You put them on TV and bam, prima donnas. (laughs) And that's when she spots Phil.
1: So when is the actual ceremony going to be? If he gets up at six, how long has he got to get there?
0: If he gets up at six, he's got about a half hour to an hour, depending on the year. Oh,
1: so we don't know precisely in the context of this movie how long he's got.
0: Oh, wait. No, they do. They say it this February at seven 20 and 30 seconds.
1: Okay. So to
0: Tony Phil this year, he's yeah, got
1: an hour and 20 minutes to get there. Right. He's on air personality. So he's got to put a suit on. Mm-hmm. That's 20 minutes. Yeah. He's got to shave. He
0: didn't take a shower. He didn't
1: take a shower, but he's got to shave.
0: Probably. He doesn't look very, uh, like he needs to, too much when he wakes up, but. Practically speaking, yeah, he probably would.
1: Yeah, if you're doing stand-ups, you're, you're taking some time. Yeah. I'm going to say you're taking 40 minutes. It's 40 minutes from sleeping to camera ready without eating breakfast and without the walk and everything else.
0: There's actually a scene from the original script that the tone of it always bothered me, but it makes more sense practically now. Is that every time as he exited the Ben breakfast, yeah. Rita is there telling him to hurry up. And like, she'll meet him at the gobbler's knob. Yeah. And then she runs ahead and I'm like, she shouldn't be there because she's staying somewhere else. That's part of the original story. But practically speaking, it makes sense that she, you know, check to make sure he's on his way, not wait until two minutes before the event for him to just show up. Sure. Larry's got to reserve a spot so they can't go pick him up. You can walk from location to location where they filmed in about 20 minutes. So that's
1: seven o'clock. So that's now having to leave yeah. at seven o'clock to get there exactly on time. So yeah. if he's leaving five, if he's leaving at six 55 to get there five minutes, ahead of time, and that sounds about right. It seems like he's there about five minutes ahead and he's just going to nail his
0: stand-up because he's a pro. Yeah. Right. So 6. 55. He's doing great. Yeah, he really is. He shows up when he needs to show up. He does what he needs to do. Leaves.
1: I don't think it's fair of her as a producer to be acting this way. Yeah. As much as they want to paint that as him being a jerk and not doing his job. You know, normally your on-camera personality and your technical guys and everything would be there two hours ahead of time. That would just be the reality. Right. That's all you're there to do. You've been driven out to this remote location. You're going to be there for two hours. You're going to make sure that your camera's already standing in the perfect location. You're going to have someone there standing there so you can light them right, make sure the sound works, make sure everything works. And him showing up five minutes before he's supposed to be there is a super big jerk move. But that doesn't seem like something regular people would know. Right. They would sense it maybe from the way that Andy's acting. And maybe that's why.
0: It's a common film trope. CinemaSins loves to harp on this, that people are always late. Oh, okay. Because it's an easy way for the dialogue to get going is someone saying, hey, you're late. Oh. And I'm like, that. people start conversations. You don't have to always be arriving late so someone can comment on it and the dialogue gets going. It's, it gets awkward the more we see it.
1: It does get awkward. But imagine if they tried to be real life. Because like my first line upon seeing Rita, Rita, I'd be like, oh, oh my God, Rita, this bagel I had this morning. Holy cow.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That would be my real first line.
0: Actually, that would work pretty well here too, because he eventually brings them coffee and pastries. Maybe he stops at that coffee place. That's why he's late is that he's been stopping at a place and getting breakfast and he tells them about it, but doesn't get them any until later. It could have been a good setup for him being nice later. Sure. Okay. Got it. Got it. But instead, we have to make it look like he's bad, even though he's kind of being exactly as professional as he knows he needs to be.
1: Yeah, bare minimum. That
0: might not be good, but it's getting the job done.
1: It is bare minimum. He is leaving his producer hanging until the last
0: second. When I talk about delivery and how we change our presentation and voice and everything to my Speech 101 students, I had a thing in class where I'd shown the clips of each of his news reports from this movie. Oh. And just that. A lot of time I'm teaching like teenagers who haven't seen this movie. And so I show him the first one, like tell me about this character of Phil, and it's just him in the news, like in the news studio at the beginning. And they're like, no, well, he seems like he's kind of an ass. He's a smart ass, but he's pretty good at his job. He's funny. He's making jokes. I'm like, exactly. Okay. I'm like, does he like his job? And they're all like, no, he doesn't like his job. I'm like, okay, you already got that. Good. And I show him the next one, and they're like, which is the one we're about to get in a couple minutes. And they're like, yeah, he definitely doesn't like his job, but he's pretty good at it. I'm like, yeah, he's good at his job. And they they watch the rest. And at a certain point, I have to explain to them the plot they they're like, what is happening? Why is he doing the same thing? <laughs> but they get, but they get the idea immediately that this is a guy who is good at what he does, but does not like it. And maybe doesn't like himself. And the movie is painting that picture very specifically with stuff like this, like him being late and where have you been? And then of course he has to insult someone who's not even there. A giant leech got me because <laughs> that's who he is. He says bad things about people constantly. Yeah. Because how else do we know he's a bad person? Unless you remind us over and over and over. Keep in mind, I love this movie. <laughs> but I have complaints.
1: Some potentially dangerous territory to go in, into here yeah. about Bill Murray. Ah, yeah. Okay. First of all, I love this guy. Everything he does, every time I see him showing up at somebody's wedding randomly, it just almost mm-hmm. makes me cry. He just seems like such a cool <laughs> guy. But also, he also seems to be sort of angry. Yes. Like in his personal life, he seems to be an angry guy. Yes. And- That anger seems to have evolved with his characters. Yep. Like when he was the meatballs guy, he just seemed fun all the time.
0: Mm -hmm. Whenever you
1: would see interviews with him on Carson. And then as he entered the Phil area, he seems to have gotten more angry in his personal. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg here? Did he start playing angry guys and then sort of being angry in his life? Or did he start interpreting these things as angry, funny, because that was the road he was personally going
0: yeah is he that stereotypical like clown that's really sad and angry and that's why he tells jokes all the time isn't good at it or is he stuck being the funny guy because that's what everyone expects and so he just becomes more and more bitter about his life the older he gets i don't know
1: and then maybe at some point he recognizes that So he starts being a cool guy to everybody.
0: He's definitely tries, yeah.
1: Showing up at the weddings and doing selfies and and just doing cool stuff. Yeah. You know, he's like, oh, why am I such a bitter old man? What do I have to be sad about? I'm going into this VFW hall right now.
0: Around the time of this film, I think it was a little before he starts having an affair with someone who worked on this movie, is because he was kind of abusive to his wife. Yeah. When I, I eventually wrote about that in detail in the blog, and I'm like, yeah, he's not the greatest person. We can still be entertained by his characters, but accept these things. The reality is not always pleasant.
1: Sure. You know, the thing is though, I think about these actors now when he passes away, is it going to be a national day of mourning the way it was with Robin Williams? I kind of feel like it might be.
0: It could be. There's a lot of people. I know one of my most popular, you know, my most popular videos, I'd say my in quotes on YouTube is just a deleted scene from this film where he's bowling. And like, I think like millions of people have watched that clip now and people just jump on there just to comment and say, Hey, it's Ernie McCracken practicing. Cause you know, they saw Kingpin <laughs> every time someone says the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You, re- you remember Kingpin. Good job. <laughs> they annoy me. That comment pops up so often. And I'm like, that's okay. I mean, you like Kingpin. That's where you remember this guy. Cool. Good for you. I don't, I shouldn't be better about it every time you say it. I should turn off my notifications, really. Yeah, never read the comments. Sometimes they're fun. Some really interesting conversations would happen. Like there's a scene where he is betting on basketball games while playing pool. And there's always the people like it's the the deleted scene in on the DVD it was called Phil the Hustler. And people will jump in, like, he's not hustling them. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. But that's what they labeled it as. I don't care. But then there's really interesting conversations about who the two extras were and how they got taken out of the movie. They're not in the scene anymore that they didn't get to be in Groundhog Day. But these two guys had lines and then there's people trying to identify them. Like I'm following this conversation and I'm going to keep following it because someone might figure out who the second guy is because I've only ever figured out one of them. And it bugs me when I don't know who people are. I still don't know who played Michael Myers mother in the original Halloween. I didn't know that wasn't known. No one knows. No crazy. Well, someone knows sometime, but it's not someone who ever got attention. She doesn't have any lines, so she's not in the credits and we only see her from the side. I
1: came of age movie wise. I started watching what I call cinema. When I was 11, when you know, it's like okay. 1982. That's when I started yeah. going back and going, you know, oh, I need to see Rosemary's Baby. I need to see these, mm. you know, this yeah. list of movies that are important. Right. I need to go watch them because I'm already 11 and there's already thousands of them. And what the hell am I going to do? Exactly. <laughs> How am I going to get into Montreal film school if I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I'm watching all this stuff and I'm noticing, you know, these older important movies. Their credits came at the beginning of the movie, not at the end.
0: Yeah, really old ones. Mm -hmm.
1: And they were like two minutes long. And they would say like, you know, a handful of people, 75, 125 people. Right. And I thought, you know, oh, movies must be, you know, pretty slab together. Pieces of art that just come together because, you know, because God wanted it to happen that way. And then (laughs) as you get into the 80s and 90s and people start having credit in their contract and the credits are at the end of the movie and they last for 15 minutes and they last for 20 minutes. It's like, oh. There's so many roles that people had in these amazing movies yeah. that are just lost because they're dead and no one remembers that they were there.
0: And unions didn't negotiate it yet. Right. right. You know, we didn't need the list of all the grips because their union hadn't gotten that requirement. Now we need all that stuff. But
1: for the rest of their life, you know, that guy to their family was like, hey, you know what? I was a gripping Cleopatra.
0: Yeah. Or, or the two guys in the pool hustler scene. They're like, yeah, I was almost in Groundhog Day. You can see it in a deleted scene on the DVD. Look, there I am. There I am. What about the guy who played the minister whose deleted scene didn't even get on the DVD? And apparently doesn't exist online. Oh, I can't find it. Sadness. I know they filmed the scene in the church because there is a photo of Bill Murray sitting there in the church.
1: Well, I don't know how much of a call there was for any of that, except for just film geeks. Yeah. Because there was scarcity when it came to um, talking about deep background stuff with movies because it only happened in magazines or in actual conversations or in newspapers. Right. It wasn't until the internet came along where we were able to just sit back and contemplate deeply, you know, really wonder.
0: What each little person was doing on set and what their job entailed and all that.
1: Who was the crane operator that was uh, suspending this, you know, the scrim over this that they were shining the, the, the key five lights through to make it seem yeah. like it was early morning.
0: I didn't think about the location manager for this movie until I sat down and had breakfast with him in Woodstock. <laughs> and then I'm like, you're awesome, dude. This has been great to hang out.
1: And even those guys, we didn't know that, you know, his job was 10 hours a day, 12, 15 hours a day, yep. just finding the right spot and finding the right angle.
0: I remember this had been in the like, mid 90s. There was a pre-show thing they'd show in movie theaters that was like this location scout going out to take pictures of these awesome locations. It was like romanticizing this job we'd never even thought about before. Yeah. And how they had to go find these things. I'm like, that's cool. That'd be a fun job. But every movie had that job before. We just didn't think about it.
1: And I think that's where a lot of amateur filmmakers fail, especially pre-internet, because they didn't know Mm. what they didn't know. Right. They didn't know... That there was
0: someone
1: looking for a location for four months. Yeah. They just figured, you know, I've got a gazebo. I'm going to set my camera up here and just film in front of it.
0: And good location scouts have like a backlog of just a record of all these great locations they've found before. Yeah. Why can't I think of his name right now? Location manager for this movie. Maybe I'll insert his name now in when I'm editing because I can't think of his name. Of course, when I'm editing, I didn't even have to look it up. I can just remember his name was Bob Hudgens. Has a lot of work currently on some uh, NBC shows set in Chicago, Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Chicago PD, and others. He had an uncredited supporting role in location scouting for Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which filmed one sequence that lasts like four minutes in this square. Oh! So he remembered. They're like, we're looking for a town near Chicago. Keep going north, 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 not finding what they want. And they're like, we want a town square because they wanted this idea of the location itself was enclosed, just like Phil is. And he's like, oh, well, there's Woodstock. And they went down to Woodstock and it was perfect for what they wanted. And it's just because he knew. Yeah. Otherwise, they might have ended up filming somewhere else. The real Gobbler's Knob is just this little, not that interesting hill outside of town.
1: Yeah. It's probably just a terrible place.
0: Yeah. It's next to the woods.
1: Like someone who doesn't know this stuff would have just went to the real Gobbler's Knob and said, well, this is what we got.
0: Well, they went to the real Gobbler's Knob and was like, yeah, we don't want that.
1: Yeah. That's because it was their job. They had 10 hours a day of location scouting for months of pre-production.
0: Yeah, this isn't a documentary about Right, This is a fictional story about a guy who's stuck there. And so you want a Punxsutawney to fit your story.
1: The magic of movies.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And it's stuff we don't know, if we don't know. We don't see the Woodstock jeweler sign and think, oh, they're in a place called Woodstock. It's like, no, that person just named their thing after the bird from Snoopy. Or they were a hippie. Who knows? (laughs) And I love... I, just watching it again now, like looping, I love that as she's giving her little thing, she's like, you're missing all the fun. These people are great. Some of them have been partying all night. They sing songs till they get too cold and they go sit by the fire. They get warm and they come back and sing some more. And she is so excited. And he just like is just looking right at her waiting. He's seeing like she is so over the top excited about this town. And it's it's lovely that she's excited like that. And then his response, which this is just from the final version of the script, this probably came from Murray himself. These lines is just like, yeah, they're Hicks, Rita. (laughs) And it's just, yep, yep. He just just succinctly put together everything about her excitement, their excitement, and everything. And I've been to Woodstock for Groundhog Day, and it was the morning at the time of the thing was very sedate because it was cold. It was a crowd all gathered too close together. But the rest of the day, it could get very energetic. The breakfast was, Fun. At some point, I should go to Punxsutawney for the real festival as well.
1: (laughs) Well, what you just said kind of expands my mind on what I was thinking about, Andy. We we need a scene where we kind of need to like Phil. We we kind of need to like Phil a little. Yeah. We have to have a little spark of humanity and reacting to this over-the-top positivity. I think we all just get a little headache. Just want to have a drink Mm -hmm. and just like we just stare at the person that's being energetic and you put a smile on your face and you let him get through it. <laughs> yep. And yeah, you know, and, and you sympathize with it a little bit.
0: And that also comes down to Harold Ramis' direction and Bill Murray's stuff from Improv is yet yeah, you wait for the person to finish their line and then you give the punchline. In this case, it works really well. In some cases of this movie, it's not as good cuz people wouldn't talk like that. But here it works cuz he's he's letting her express herself cuz as we learn later, he does like her.
1: like she is being so positive about about the energy and the people around And he does this little look. He looks around and he's all irritated by people. And then she says this positive thing and he kind of gives her a look. And then he looks around and he's got sort of a Kermit the Frog look on his face. He's like, what are you seeing?
0: Yeah. He's like, do you see these weirdos on the gazebo dancing?
1: And he gives a little head shake like, you're you're crazy, lady. Mm -hmm. And you see this buildup of his uh, punchline coming just in his face.
0: Yeah. It's a good Murray-Ramus combo is that we can see there's a punchline coming, but it still works because the punchline's good. Most of life is just junk, right? It's, It's filler. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time, if it wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. No, I honestly don't even know how that could be possible. Think about it, we must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever. But not today. That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. <laughs> it's a perfect day. You couldn't have planned it like this.
1: Well, you can, it just takes an awful lot of work.
0: Time. Time. The last revision is what counts, apparently. Time. What if we found Time. them all? All the perfect things in this Time. one town, Time. in this one day we can collect them on this show. We have a segment where we do time loop of the week. And I forgot what yours was going to be.
1: It is this crazy profound.
0: I couldn't remember if you had your own that you had suggested. I I sent you the link to 50% gray. 50% gray is,
1: is about the the, guy,
0: the the, the dead guy.
1: Yeah. The dead guy. That was incredible. I, I, I'm sorry that I didn't get the, uh, the memo on That's okay. bringing my own. That's fine. But if I were going to bring my own favorite time loop to a movie, it would be, um, you know, just off the top of my head, it would be something like, uh, something like that Star Trek episode where they're slightly behind their own time in looping. And so they're seeing themselves doing the thing in front of them. And it is the smooth loop. Yeah, I know. I know. I,
0: no, I'm I picturing a very specific like, scene of that. Uh, is it that's next generation
1: i think it's next generation yeah where they're I'm like
0: picturing like jordy in the engineering and like he's in front of himself also like he, there's a row of him or something yep yep if the professor was right i will need a 27 second countdown you have got it data captain i now have the antimatter and i'm moving towards the opening at the end of the lab the next time distortion should occur within seconds Jordi, begin countdown on my mark. Hedda, there appears to be three of us! Should I drop the antimatter or wait
1: for one of you? Only one of us is in the correct time! Which one? Me! It's me! Five! Four! Report, are you all right?
0: Yes, sir. Is it closed? It is well patched, sir. Closed indicates a permanent condition which I cannot guarantee.
1: Patched is good enough. Well done. Being
0: back immediately. With pleasure, sir. What episode? I got to find that and add it to my list. (laughs) Because when you said Star Trek, I was immediately thinking cause and effect. Oh, yeah. Which is a classic one that actually came before Groundhog Day.
1: This is the one where they're stuck in a very short loop. And he just has to keep walking in and doing the same thing over and over again. But he sees himself Mm. doing the same thing before he gets there. And it just, you
0: know, right? Yeah, I gotta find that one and add it to the list.
1: You know, I don't have much to say about it because I'm kind of off the cuff right now. Yeah, but that's the one that really stands out in my mind when we're talking
0: about time loops.
1: That, or the one where the girl is in The Groundhog Day, except she keeps getting murdered.
0: (laughs) Oh, Happy Death Day!
1: Happy Death Day!
0: Yeah, the the slasher film with one victim. (laughs) That was great. You
1: probably hated it.
0: No, I love Happy Death Day. Oh, I'm so glad. And Happy Death Day to You Better. has some serious flaws. You think so? But as a time loop thing, it does. It, but I think it works really wonderfully as a sequel because it switches genres. The first one's a horror film. The second one's science fiction.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that. It, it's amazing how they keep it fresh. It isn't just yeah. Phil, except it's a girl getting murdered over and over again for another second movie.
0: Uh huh. Mine, of course, is... A Weird one. It was up for an Oscar in 2001. It lost to the Pixar short for the birds. It is called 50% gray. You can find it on YouTube. It's only like three minutes long and uh, really hard to talk about without spoiling.
1: Yeah. Isn't it crazy that it lost?
0: I think it's because it's so short that most of the people watching at the time, I believe the short film categories were still voted on by everyone in the Academy. Yeah. Now you have to actually certify that you went to a screening of all the films before you can vote in that category. And so not everyone does. And so they went with Pixar because for the birds is, you know, it's cute. It's pleasant. Sure. 50% gray is immediately kind of dark and disturbing. The guy is weird looking. If you look at the, the visual of his face, it's misshapen. He starts the short film with a wound in his stomach.
1: He's a 1930s gangster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. In like a, sort of colonial Marine from alien outfit with like armor and helmet and little laser gun. And my favorite thing about this, I watched it again last night was that he basically shows up in this place that is white sky, gray ground, just infinite emptiness, except for he's near a TV with a VCR.
1: I was going to ask you to do this. Yeah. Probably. Without warning, people are listening to this right now and haven't had a chance to go ahead and watch this before we start yeah. talking about it. Could you just second by second it, you know, kind of kind of narrate the whole movie for us?
0: I couldn't offhand right now because I didn't plan notes for that, but I can give you the beats. Okay. Because. Well, that's and, what I'm talking about. So
1: people, so people understand. Because this, yeah. is, this is, I think, kind of an important short. And I want people to understand that.
0: Yeah. And I'll insert the exact soundbite of what the TV says because it is hilarious <laughs> how it is so pleasant about horrible things. But listeners, pause this, go watch that, come back in three minutes. It's on YouTube, on multiple channels. It's called 50% Gray. Guy wakes up in this infinite emptiness, but there's a TV. And it says, congratulations, you're dead. (laughs) It's so cheerful about him being dead. And it's like, welcome to heaven, which is not the best version of heaven. It's big and empty. Congratulations, you are dead. Welcome to heaven you can relax and enjoy eternity and peace
1: and tranquility sit back and unwind as you contemplate the mysteries of the universe you have all the time the
0: world. and he seems kind of frustrated he walks off he has left his helmet behind some minor thing but he walks off into this emptiness and eventually he sees something in the distance and he gets excited he goes toward it and it's the same tv with his helmet sitting there so the only thing here is this tv There's definitely some commentary in this on like how we spend our time looking at screens, certainly, which is fun in 2001 because the internet, not everyone had it yet. People didn't have cell phones. Some did, but not everyone.
1: My cell phone was totally just a brick. (laughs) All you could do on it is play snake.
0: I know 2001 is about the time that really expensive cell phones were getting tinier and tinier, Yep, but still had those big giant ones as well.
1: Mine was about the the length and twice twice the width of my phone, (laughs) 2001.
0: And so he's got a blaster with him. He shoots himself in the head. So it's dark and depressing. Another reason why it wouldn't win. And he just wakes up again like he did in the first place. But now there's a different TV. Notably, I would say a less advanced TV. The first one seemed a little widescreen, 90s widescreen, where it's not, it's not like one that could fit on your wall like nowadays. And now it's more of a cathode ray tube kind of TV. And he presses play. and It's like, congratulations, you're dead. Welcome to purgatory. And it has some spiel about, you may have done some bad things in your life. You were relatively good. And he just walks off again. Oh, no. I think he gets frustrated immediately, right? He sticks the gun in his mouth. Yep. And shoots himself. Through top of the head. Yeah. Immediately wakes up. Yep. Yeah. And then feels the back of his head because the whole, it does heal immediately as he wakes up. But first he gets like brain matter and blood on his hands, which, you know, you don't want an animated film. A lot of people think animated is for kids, (laughs) even shorts that most kids won't see. And there's a new TV and he presses play. Congratulations. You're dead. Welcome to hell. And so he shoots the TV. And it's a great beat because yeah, the TV sucks. It's the only thing there that's going to be frustrating. But then he turns the gun back to his head to shoot himself again and he's out of charges. (laughs) It's almost the perfect movie. Yeah. And it's just it's so simple that I think a lot of people were just like, forgot almost. It's like about five, six years ago, there was a movie where this guy made, I think it was just called guacamole. It might also be on YouTube. It was just a stop motion animation of someone making guacamole, but all of the things he was using were real objects. Like he used dice, like little white dice, I think for like the onion bits and something else for the red. And it was all these mixed things. And so it was really cool animation. I vaguely recall this. but There's no story to it. It's just really cool animation. And so it didn't even get nominated. It was one of like special mentions. You know, people want a story. One of the ones this year is on Netflix called Robin Robin. I think it's too long. It's like half hour, but it is adorable. It's about a group of mice that save a Robin's egg from a cat and then raise that Robin as a, as like one of them and hilarity ensues. <laughs> and it's cute. It's a very much like a kid's film. 50% gray is not a kid would be like, um, then what, you know,
1: this adult is like, then what? And I don't mean that in, in the bad way. I don't mean like they didn't complete yeah. it. It's a, it's a good story with a great ending. And it makes me crazy <laughs> that you are left. it, it it, it, this movie is one of, those, one of those shorts you watch that tells you more about yourself yeah. than it does about the movie.
0: Well, you want to learn about me. One <laughs> of my favorite short films, I think is actually shorter than this one. It is just called Kiwi with an exclamation point. And it is one of the saddest and most cute little things ever. What's it about? Well, you know, a Kiwi, like birds from New Zealand, they sure. can't fly. Yeah. It is just a Kiwi who he's building something. We don't know what he's building. We just see him like with a hammer and nails, he's attaching stuff and we're not sure what he's doing. And then he puts on like a helmet, like a pilot's helmet. And it turns out, well, we'll see because he jumps off a cliff. (gasps) Oh no,
1: I don't, I already don't like this.
0: The thing he has been doing is nailing trees to the side of the cliff. So as he falls, he can imagine he's flying (sighs) and it is so sad, but it is like a couple minutes of screen time and tells this beautiful little story about this bird that can't do something Has just dreamed of that. So the last thing he's going to do is experience it. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. it's, it's not a time loop, but it is so worth even bringing up on this show. Cause it is just this, it captures so much in a tiny little moment.
1: I was hoping when you got to the part where he nails the trees, of the cliff that he lives. Through.
0: We don't see him die. Yeah, sure. but we, know yeah, I know. we know that's what happens. That's what happened. Is it he kind of, I think at the end he kind of disappears into the fog down below. Oh and it's over. And it was it was a made by a college student as like his thesis film, and it's wonderful. Oh, just heartbreaking. Like fifty percent gray. It's it captures so much in so little time about like the repetitive experience of life, about TV, about what we think of ourselves as good or bad and what to do about it. Fifty
1: percent gray though is an existential horror story. Yeah you know, because I, I, I'm not quite sure how to, <laughs> I, I, I want, I, I want to know what would have happened if he had been able to shoot himself when he got to hell.
0: Yeah. And I know but, that's not,
1: I know that's not the point that's not of the, the movie. point. I know.
0: Yeah. But it, it is, doesn't matter if Caleb is AI, it doesn't matter if Phil can get out of town. It doesn't matter if the soldier in 50% gray can shoot himself again, because where's he going to end up? If the story continues, he ends up somewhere worse, but what's worse than the exact same thing every time Right. is worse is that he doesn't even get the exact same thing every time.
1: Well, what it does, the the existential dread that comes from this for me Mm. is that it might mean since hell is perceptually the worst place you can be. Yeah. First of all, it's exactly like heaven and that's bad news for anyone that's afraid of dying. And then second of all, does it also mean that you don't have free will yep. because you've shot the TV and there's no place to go after hell. So, you know, you're left imagining if he shot himself, would he just be laying there in pain and wounded for all of eternity? Right. Or would he be going someplace else? Would it be heaven? Would he go back to heaven?
0: And in a sense, if he did lay there and, in, and be in pain from wounding himself again, is that better than nothing? You know, being able to feel something. I don't know.
1: It reminds me of a comic book. Uh, It was Swamp Thing. Okay. And I don't know what it is because I never read the book. I I got one copy of it because the cover looked cool. And it was in the middle of a story where he had been fighting. I, I don't know. Swamp Thing went to hell, basically. Okay, And in hell, he encountered some old enemy, right? That was long forgotten by him or something like that. And he comes up on this guy and this guy is suffering in hell. His body is being eaten by flowers or something like that and they have this conversation and at the end of the conversation the bad guy who was in hell asks Swamp Thing you know how long he's been dead has it been 100 years has it been 500 years yeah and Swamp Thing is like eh, it's been like eh, a couple of days <laughs> <laughs> and the guy goes what no and he loses his mind wow. you no know, immediately snaps and, he, and he's just done he's crazy and he's in all this pain and <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that a little bit like that would be his fate uh, the the soldier state. 50%. Yeah,
0: as a sort of thematic connection to tomorrow's movie, talking about memories, fifty percent gray reminds me now, or not reminds me, but connects me pre-minds, pre-minds, yeah, pre pre-mind me of the current Apple Plus show Severance. I don't know if they're going to stick the landing because it's still going, but the setup is that you can separate your brain so that your work time and your life outside of work are experienced separately. Oh, interesting. But what the people have done is essentially created versions of themselves that only exist at work. And some of them, all they want to do is just find new experiences because they work in these little cubicle things and just want to do something. And the new employee wants to just escape. She doesn't understand why herself out there made her do this. That sounds like
1: something I've watched. And it also reminds me of Philip Jose Farmer's
0: stories. Okay, I know the name. I've never, I don't think I've read anything by him.
1: Oh, he does like weird stuff that you shouldn't be reading when you're 12, but I did. <laughs> there was one story, I think it's called something like slice crosswise, except on Tuesdays or some kind Oof. where people only live on certain days oh. and the other days they're in cryosleep or something. It, it's kind of along that same thing where you're separating your, you're not being the same person at work. <sighs>
0: but, yeah. Just your... Vague description of like a memory of that reminded me of like the prestige and why Christian Bale's character doesn't know what knot he tied that night at the magic show. And I, I won't spoil that movie because this isn't about <laughs> that movie, but it's this idea that you're two different people depending on what you're doing and where you are. And in Severance, they make that literal is your experiences don't cross over anymore. And the main character, he went through the severance process because he's dealing with the, like grieving and depression because his wife died. But now his existence outside of work is just this depressed guy. Oh. And it's like, it didn't work. But him at work, he doesn't know it didn't work. He thinks he's doing this for a good reason and it's great. And so he go, he does his job. Interesting. I hope they stick the landing on that story because so far I've really liked it.
1: There's this kind of thing that's going on with stories lately. Mm.
0: People, society
1: finally seems to be coming around to being able to watch Philip K. Dick based story archetypes. And that sounds like one of them, like carbon fiber and the thing you're talking about. Mm. Like we're finally getting these, what is real and what isn't real sort of stories out in the mainstream.
0: Yeah. And they used to be outlandish science fiction that didn't make any sense. Now the closer they become to reality, I think we're ready for it a little more
1: you know where even my mom can appreciate them even my 72 year old mom can appreciate them.
0: (laughs) so speaking of your 72 year old mom where can we hear more from her kid
1: (laughs) i would say uh right now the top tier stuff is the blade runner mac it's it's coming out a little bit slowly because i had some i had some quality uh some sound quality issues that i'm busy fixing but blade runner (laughs) or i'm sorry time bandits minute i I love that misspeak because i'm like cool i'd listen (laughs) time bandits minute but also my great love is uh that i did with my friend jason the better off dead minute which is still also coming yeah we're now on our fifth season
0: and how far are you into the movie now (laughs) got about 20 minutes left (laughs) okay so it's near the end.
1: We're getting there. We're going to cross the finish line and, and get our plaque at the, uh, at the 10th annual Movies by Minutes meetup.
0: For those of you who aren't Movies by Minutes podcasters, the 5th is the one this year. So he's talking five years from now. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to Philadelphia in August. Fun times. Uh, listeners, yeah, come back tomorrow. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia X Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can follow this show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to this and more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Till next time.
1: Through time. What is wrong in the end which never comes? Or which comes again and again.
0: Lap, lap, lapping. Like waves. Since the big bang set everything in motion. Everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. Man, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Day? Mm. Yeah, you
1: know, Groundhog
0: Day is not a documentary. It doesn't matter if Caleb is AI. It doesn't matter if Phil can get out of town. It doesn't matter if the soldier in 50% gay, 50, 50% gay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just broke my brain.